Well, guys, it's so good to be here with you tonight. I don't get this opportunity very often, and so I am just honored and blessed to, to be able to. And um, my prayer is that you will be honored, you'll be blessed as well, that when you leave tonight, you feel a little bit more in love with Jesus, um, maybe have a deeper understanding of his love, a deeper revelation of his love, not just head knowledge, but, but experiential knowledge. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I, Jesus is here in our midst. Um, but I always want to remind myself, and I'll just remind every, all of us, that it's so much better to experience Jesus than just to talk about him. It's so much better to be in his presence than just to have a bunch of like great material on him. There, I mean, I love pictures of my wife. I got pictures, like she's on my cell phone, she's on my watch, she's on my iPad. Everywhere I go, I'm like, have pictures of my wife. But that does not do justice to being in the presence of my wife. And it's the same with Jesus, you know? And um, so often we could, I feel like we could get, uh, I just know, in, just in religion and just doing church in day in and day out and week in and week out, that uh, we could just get so... Uh, focused on the picture of Jesus and forget that he's actually in our presence and forget that he's actually right here in our midst and we could actually turn our eyes just focus on him and everything is okay you know it's that beautiful that beautiful uh, song where he says when uh, uh, when I gaze into your face when I look upon I actually I don't actually know the actual lyrics it says something like this though when I look into your face when I look on you the things of this world grow strangely dim you guys familiar with that Right? That, I mean, that's true. It's like everything goes dim. Everything else goes dim. All the things that have been screaming and yelling at us in our heads and the demands of life and the chaos of this world, when we f focus on Jesus, all of that just goes silent and it goes dim. And then we just see his glory in our hearts. And it's just a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a glorious thing. And, and uh, I just always want to keep myself in that place. And especially as we gather together, because he says, he says where two or more of us are gathered in his name, he's there in our midst. Like, it's a done deal. And uh, I don't know how many times that I've come into a time of gathering, and I just totally forget that. And I start thinking, you know, it's, we're doing our stuff and doing, you know, doing our deal, and totally forgetting, like, you know, you're actually present. I can encounter you so much stronger and in such a more intense way because I'm here with another brother and another sister. It's just amazing. And so, um, yeah, so I'm, again, blessed to be here with you tonight. Um, if you don't know me, um, if you only come on Wednesdays, don't come on Sundays. I don't know if there's anybody here who does that. Um, I'm, I'm part of the pastoral leadership team here, and um, my name's Gabe Palmer. This is my beautiful wife, Evie, and um, yeah, so there you go. There we are. That's who we are. Um, tonight, I want to talk to, uh, I want to just speak on about taking the name of God and um, taking on his name. So I entitled it Taking the Name. And, um, and speaking on, about a name, you know, what, what, what is so important or what is so vital about a name? You know, throughout scripture we're commanded and exhorted to do so many things in the name of Jesus, right? Like as I just, just mentioned, right? To gather in his name. He says, come and gather in his name. He tells us to to. Uh, believe upon his name, that we're to pray in Jesus' name, that we're to be baptized in Jesus' name, we're to preach in Jesus' name. He says we're justified in Jesus' name, 
that we're to bow at Jesus' name, and in fact, the entire, all of creation at some point is all going to bow at his name. And, and he, in fact, he even says to do everything in his name. I mean, in Colossians, Jesus says, you know what, Here, just, here's the deal. Just do everything. In the, uh, when you do it, do it as unto the Lord in his name. Like everything you ever do. And, and so what does that mean? I mean, we're commanded to do all these things in his name, but what, what does that mean? You know, uh, I, I, I feel like many times what we end up doing, because we don't really grasp what this is, what he's saying or what it means, that we just sort of figure if we say the words, then it must mean that we're doing it, right? So every time we're going to pray, we're going to say, in Jesus' name. And there, bam, got that checked off. He told me to do it. There I did it. When we gather together, we sort of like, let's pray together. We all meet together. And it's like, all right, Jesus' name, you're, God bless you or whatever. And it's like, all right, there, we did it. We just met in his name. But I'm, I believe it's much deeper than that. It's much deeper than that. When he says to do all things in his name, obviously we're not all walking around and saying, well, I'm tying my shoes and saying, in Jesus' name, I'm doing this in Jesus' name, or I'm eating my food in Jesus' name. What does it mean to do these things in his name, to take on his name. And that's what, that's what I, want, I, I want us to talk about. You know, there's, uh, there's actually people in the Bible, there is these uh, itinerant Jewish exorcists, right? So they go around and they would um, um, try to relieve people of demons, apparently. And when they saw Paul um, and his crews casting out demons in Jesus' name, they're like, wow, that's the ticket. We've like had issues. We can't really do it, but he seems to get it like every time and there's, they manifest, they leave and like people are set free and they do it in Jesus' name. And so they thought to themselves, hey, that's all we need to do. So let's go do that. And so these seven sons of this priest, right, they go and they, they like, hey, remember that? They, apparently they have this guy they know that lives in probably this really ancient haunted looking house or something. I don't know, but they know this guy's full of demons and so they go and try to cast out demons in Jesus' name. And they go and, and like, they say, all right, in the name of Jesus and Paul, the guy that taught us this or we got this from, we cast you out. And the demons are like, and the guy responds back. He says, like, Jesus I know, Paul I know. I have no idea who you are. And they get obliterated. They get, they get literally humiliated. He says he, he literally beats them up. This one guy takes on seven of them. They end up running away without their clothes. I mean, it's this really weird, scandalous thing that goes on. And they're trying to do this all by just saying in Jesus' name, and it doesn't work. And so there is something else besides that we just profess, and we just have this thing that we say. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, is that. And that's what hopefully we'll answer tonight. And as we answer it, that we could also embrace walking this out. You know how important it is that we not just be hearers of the word, but what? Doers of the word. And so that's, that's what I want all of our prayer to be. That, that Whatever we could get from tonight, whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to you tonight, that you would treasure those words. He tells us to do that, to treasure his words like they're silver and gold, right? And our, we don't do, deal with silver and gold, but what we deal with is dollars, right? <laughs> treasure it like the U.S. currency in your, in your bank account, your savings account. This essentially is what he is saying. And what do we do when we treasure those things? What do we do? None of us have our money laying out, do we? Like, we don't just, like, throw money around and, like, oh, let's get that. Somewhere. We put it into a safety deposit box, put an account somewhere, we keep it safe. We calculate how we're going to use it. Uh, in fact, most of our time and energy and, and, and our planning is revolved around how we're going to utilize that money, that treasure of ours. And he says, that's what I want you to do with my words. 
I want you to I want you to guard it. I want you to protect it. I want you to meditate. I want you to think about how do I process that? How do I use it? He says, that's what, that's what treasuring his words are. And so I want to encourage you to do that tonight. If there's anything that speaks to you uh, tonight and you're like, ooh, that's good. That's from the Holy Spirit. That's right to me. Write it down. Te- put it in your little notes on your phone. Treasure it. Don't let it just go in, in one ear and one, out the other or just think, I'm going to remember it. Right? If someone gives me a $100 bill, I don't just usually like, I'll, I'll put it here for a minute. I'll, I'm sure I'm going to remember. I put that thing deep in my pocket, in my, in my wallet. You understand? Right? And that's what he tells us to do. And so let's do that tonight. So I'm going to actually open up in uh, um, John chapter 1. And I'm sorry because um, I don't know who's doing the screen. And if they have the passage up there, they're not different scriptures, but I did put them in different order. So in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And tonight we're going to look at a number of scriptures based on this. So if you have your Bible, feel free to open up to that. <clears throat> so John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will or of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John's talking about Jesus here. He says just the verse before, he says, the one that created all things, he came to his own, and his own did not know him. They disowned him. They, they, didn't, they didn't know who he was. He created him, and he created all things, but yet his creation did not know him. But he, but he, he goes on to say, but those who did receive him, and, and then he, and then he um, explains or uh, uh, gives a little better understanding of what that means. He says, those who believed in his name. Those who believed in his name are the ones that received him. Those who received him believed in his name. He says he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. You see, all children bear the name of their father, right? So all of us here have a last name, and all of us got that last name from our father. And this is what John is referring to when he says that those who believed upon his name, and they received his name, they became his children because they took on his name. And so this, what name speaks of, it speaks to the essence of who we are. Right? It, speaks to, it speaks to the nature or to the identity of who we are. A name has uh, some powerful indicators. They give us indication of our identity, of our heritage, and of our purpose. So our names, like our names, I'll use my name for example, they're all, they're all unique. I, I have four names. It's Gabriel Andrew Piawati Palmer. Those are my legal, that's my legal name. Gabriel Andrew Piawati, I think there's actually more letters in that name than there are in the alphabet. Somehow it works that way. But those names, those, are, those identify me. Now, if somebody else in the world has all four of those names, which I'm pretty sure no one else does, but if they did, those, those names, uh, uh, um, not only those names identify me, but if somebody had those names, there's another indicator. My parents and where our heritage is from, this is what they used back in the, back in the old days. And, uh, you know, Jesus was considered Jesus of Nazareth. Or who, Jesus who? Oh, G- Jesus from Nazareth. So if there was another Gabriel Andrew Piawati Palmer, and you're like, hey, I know that guy. And someone else says, hey, I know a guy like that too. Like, well, is he from Lawrenceville? Is he from Newbridge? Yes. Okay, that's the same guy. And if they say no, okay, well, that's a different, that's another guy. Their names are the ones that identify who we are. They speak of our identity. And so when we take on the name of God and his name, it speaks to our identity. But it also doesn't speak just to our identity. It speaks to, about our heritage, where we come from. So I may have surprised you. Most of you probably know my name is Gabe Palmer. 
And you think, well, where'd that, where'd that whole little piawati thing come into? That was weird, right? It sounds, it, most people think it's a, uh, 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 like, Indian, like Cherokee or something. Like, Cherokee Indian, are you from Indian? I'm like, no, we have no Indian in me. But piawati, so I'll just give you a little history on me. You guys are going to learn more about me than you probably ever wanted to know. But, but so piawati is only, uh, uh, so, excuse me, so Palmer is actually only one generation old in, in, in my family. My dad was named Palmer. Um, and, but his father was not a Palmer. His father was Piawati. He changed his father, which is my grandpa, changed the, the name to Palmer um, for, for various reasons. It, it, we're not actually sure exactly why. But Piawati actually comes from Czechoslovakia. And uh, it's a Bohemian Jew. So I have this Bohemian Jewish heritage in me. And Piawati is, get this, it is, it is Czech, which means freckly which goes pretty well with me. I'm pretty freckly. So apparently, back back in the day when they're trying to identify my ancient, you know, my, my uh, ancestors, at some point they had to say, you know, his name is George, George Hill. Well, George Piawati, the freckled one, the freckly. Oh, that guy. And it stuck. And so we had the Piawati's was our name. So there's a heritage. Now, that's not a, like an a, a important heritage, but you understand what I'm saying. There is a depth and there's a history that goes along with our names. You understand? There's also a purpose. So, we, it, again, it speaks of identity, heritage, and purpose. Another thing about me that you probably don't care to know, but I'm going to tell you anyways, is that when, my, uh, when, when I was born, my mom, why I have this sort of like this Gabriel Andrew, Piawati Palmer. When my mom heard that, when she, when she came up with that, she said it out loud, and she said, that sounds like the name of a president. I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a president as a son. And so it, she gave me that name, Gabriel Andrew, Piawati Palmer. She said, this is going to be his purpose. I've failed her, and I'm not obviously going to be that, and I'm not that. But there's a purpose in, in names. And we, when we give names, there's, usually we look for the meaning, and we look to, to uh, uh, have a, a, a reason for that name when we're giving a name to a child because it's going to speak into their destiny. And this is why when we've been called names like loser or failure or we've been thinking that we're an accident, it causes really some severe damage in our souls because it actually speaks against our purpose. It speaks against who we are. So if you've ever been called loser when you're a kid, we all have at some point, I'm sure, by your siblings, there's something that stings with that. You're a failure because it's going against the actual purpose of our destiny. And it's saying that we're worthless. That's why it cuts deeply in us. And so a name carries these, these uh, uh, powerful indicators for who we will be and who we're to become. As I said earlier, and as the scripture is uh, speaking of, children take on the identity of their father, whether good or bad. So if you came from a good stock or you have a good name, your father has a good name, your parents have a good name, they, uh, and that was passed to you, you carry that good name, Right? And if you make that name bad or you do something to make that name bad, what the whole family is going to be upset with you, right? Because it's, it speaks about who you are and who they are. So a father sets the identity inside the, into the family. There's something else about a name. You know, there's something about we all sort of have this thing where we want to be immortalized, right? We want to be immortalized. We, there's, there's this drive inside of us that says, I have to, my name has to last longer than just my 80 years. And so there's something inside of us that says we want to be significant. And so sometimes what people will do, they'll say, man, if I could get my name like on a road sign or something, make that building after my name, or if I could get, be significant enough that people remember my name after I'm passed away, 
That's like the, uh, a, a big success for us. That's something that, a big achievement for us. We all want to be immortalized. Why do we want that? Because it speaks about our identity. It speaks about who we are. It speaks to these things and our significance. We do this all, again with all sorts of things. Street names, monuments, businesses, books, achievements. Anything that could outlast our 80 years. That's what typically we all sort of have this, oh, I hope that happens. Maybe we could do it through our children and our family. But our identity is wrapped up in our name. Our nature and our essence is wrapped up in our name. So when John talks here in John chapter, this John chapter 1, he says, those who believed upon his name, they become the children of God. He's speaking of that their nature and their essence is essentially changed because they're taking on their name. They didn't just take on the letters of God's name, but they took on the identity and the character of his name. Does that make sense? So as children of God, we've been given a new identity in Christ where we bear the name faithfully. One of the things that the name brings, it brings unity. Look in John chapter 17 with me. Verse 9 and 11, we're going to look at a few other verses. This is Jesus' prayer. It's, his, the, it's the, the high priestly prayer that he prays for his disciples and he prays for us. And as Jesus is praying, he says some very interesting things about what a name does and what his name particularly does and the Father's name. And so look at verse 9 with me in chapter 17. He says, I am praying for them, speaking of the disciples. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I want to stop there for a moment. Jesus says, he asked the Father, Father, keep them in your name. Why does he say that? He says it there. He says that they may be one. So the name it actually creates and causes us to be unified and, un and have unity. When we bear the name, there's a unison that happens. And we obviously could see this in a, in a shadow type way with our own families, our own units, right? Anybody that has a last name, again, for me, be Piawati. Well, I know that they're part of my family where they sort of have a oneness and there's something that keeps us together. But what he's speaking about is much, much deeper than that. It's much deeper than just an identification of, oh, you belong to that family. For he says that they may be one even as we are one. I don't know if you've ever stopped to meditate on that phrase. But do you realize what Jesus is asking the Father to do? He's asking the Father to make us unified in such a way that it resembles the Trinity. Like, the Trinity is one of the most complex things to even try to understand. <laughs> Three in one. Father and Son. Jesus says, every time you see me, you see the Father. The, fa the Father is unseen. We can't see the Father, because God the Father, because he's unseen. He's, he, no man has seen him. He's completely unseen. But we see him when we see Jesus. That's how much they are in unison. There's no, uh, uh, there's no variance in, in, in between the two. They're, they are of the same essence. And this is what Jesus prayed. He said, give them their, your name that they may be one as they are one. You know, we talk, in a, lot, we talk a lot about unity uh, in our community, and we fight for a lot of unity. We pray for unison, unity, um, you know, for the region and, 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 and 
and for racial unity and all of that type of stuff. We are really praying. What we're praying for is we're praying that we would be one as the Trinity is one. I mean, we can sort of just all go home right there and just like, look, Lord, give us like our, the rest of our lives just to figure that out right there. What are you saying? I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I do know that whatever we've experienced so far is subpar to what he really wants us to get to. And if his name is, is, is the way to get us there, then I want us to bear that name. Amen? But in verse 20 and verse 23, it's not only the name, or it is the name, but he, he uses another word to, 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 to get the same point across. In verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. And verse 26, he says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Look at this. He prays and says, God, not only am I saying this for the disciples, I gave them their, your name, but then he prays for us. And he says the same thing, that we would be one just as the Father is in him and he in him and we in the Father. And he says, he says the same phrase, but he changes the name and he puts the glory. He says that the glory that you've given me, earlier he said the name that you've given me, but now he says the glory that you've given me, I have given to them. Why? That they may be one even as we are one. So Jesus sees the name of God and glory of God as synonymous, that they are one in the same, and that name and that glory has been given to us, and the outcome of that being upon us is that there is a unity that the world has never seen before, so when they see it, they will say, oh, that's what that man Jesus was talking about when he said he and the Father were one. Well, actually, when we actually bear the name of God and we grow in this name of God, we'll actually be able to testify to what the Trinity looks like here on earth because we will be one as the Father and the Son are one. Do you understand? And so the world will know us by our what? Our love for one another, which he goes on to say. That's why he gave us the name in verse 26. He says, I made known to them the name, and I will continue to make it known, praise God, because it's an eternal name. Why? That the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The world will know us by our love for one another, not just because we don't fight and bicker, but because there's a supernatural lane, sacrificial love that looks like the Father and the Son and how they operate. It'll be amongst us. And we will know it because we will have his name. That's what will be, that, that is what will be the indicator that, oh, they're... God's name is upon them. So oneness is more than agreement. It's more than just we all agree on certain things. It's a, it's a sacrificial love. It, it's a relationship with the Father and the Son have. And let's look at that for just a second. How does the Father and the Son operate in the Spirit? How do they operate? Well, the Father remains unseen. And so what does he do? He puts Jesus out front, and he glorifies Jesus, 
And what does Jesus do? Jesus says here, in, actually in John, this, this same passage in verse 1, he says, Father, the time has come for me to glorify you. So he says, Father, glorify me so that I may glorify you. And their relationship is this. The Father glorifies Jesus. He gets under and serves Jesus, and Jesus takes everything, all the glory the God, Father has given to him, and he turns around and submits it all back to the Father. In fact, it says this, that when, when at the end of the age, when everything is under Jesus' feet and he, he has rulership over everything, he's going to take all of that and present it right back to the Father. It's this constant sacrificial love. It's not, just a, it's not just a unison of like, hey, I really like you. You're like really awesome. There is that, but that, that is expressed through the sacrificial love of one another. He says earlier there, I don't know if you caught it, but he says to Jesus speaking to the Father, he says, all mine is yours and all yours is mine. You know what that looks like? That looks like the, the, the early church, Acts chapter 2. What were they doing? They were anybody who had need. They're like, hey, what's mine is yours. If you need it, I'm there for you. I don't, it doesn't matter. Barnabas goes and he sells property and says, here, take it. I, I, I take, take the proceeds for this and use it to meet the needs of the people. And there's this great revival that's happening. And, and what's happening? They are bearing the name of the Father and the Son. They are taking on the essence and the identity of God, and they're fleshing it out. You know, being made in the image of God does not mean that, that, that God has a face and eyes and like, you know, ten fingers and ten toes. We're not made in the image of God because of the way our body is. We're made in the image of God. When he says you're made in the image of God, it's those who reflect the nature of God. Because God's, God's, God is an unseen God. He doesn't look like anything like us. But what is God? But who is God? God says he's loving kindness, he's mercy, he's goodness. And he, he tells us what he's like. And then he gives us Jesus to flesh it out so we could actually see it with our eyes. And like, oh, there it is. That's what it actually looks like. <clears throat> it's interesting in the, in the, in the creation narrative, you know, it's, God says, let us make man in our image, Right? Let us make man, male and female, in our image. And so they do. They make in his image. Later on, after the fall, after uh, they, they fall in, in chapter 5, it gives a little, um, um, what do you call the, uh, the names uh, of the people? Genealogy, that's it. The genealogy. It gives the genealogy, and it says this about Adam. It says that Adam was made in the image of God. And then he had Seth, who was made in the image of Adam. And then it continues on. And it's interesting that God's image actually doesn't keep moving forward just because they're human beings. The image of God was lost in the garden because the character and the essence of God was no longer being expressed through his human, his human vessels. Do you follow me? And so when Seth is born, it says he's made in Adam's image, not God's image. And that's what all of us are. We're all made, we're all, we're all born into sin, into the image of our own parents, all the way down to Adam and Eve. But Christ, the new Adam, he, he represented God perfectly, like Adam was supposed to but failed, but he does it perfectly all the way unto death. Because he overcame, he, could, he is now able to open the seal and the scrolls it talks about. He prevailed by, by not falling into any of the temptations that Adam fell into. And now we're now made new creatures in Christ. Do you follow me? Therefore, we have a new identity in him. This doesn't make sense. 
Now it's been restored. So we can be the image of God. So the image of God is actually a reflection of God. It's not just because we're human beings that we stand upright. So speaking of this oneness, he also speaks of the glory. He equates the name with glory. The name of God and glory are synonymous. Both the glory and the name enable us to be unified as one essence. What does it mean for God's name to be, have, to be synonymous with glory? Well, let's look here. Let's look to Exodus chapter 33. Go ahead and turn there if you, if you have your Bibles. See, God's glory is wrapped up in his name, the name that he gave you and the name that he gave me. His glory is wrapped up in it. His name is his identity. It's who he is. In Exodus chapter 33, we're going to see Moses and God having a very interesting conversation. Now, before this moment, before this time comes, God first introduced himself to Moses a couple chapters earlier at the burning bush. We all know this story, but just, just, for, just for clarity's sake, let me just emphasize, reemphasize it again. So Moses is at the burning bush, and one of the things Moses asks God as he's talking to him, he says, how am I going to identify you? When they ask me, who is this God that told you? Who, who was he? What, who is he? He says, what am I supposed to tell him? Like, who are you? What's, what's your name? How do I identify you? And God says to him, he says, my name is I am or Yahweh, which means he is. He says, this is how you identify me. I am. In other words, God is saying, I define everything. Nothing defines me. Like, you can't point to something and say, okay, that's, like, that's God. He says, nothing can define me. I'm completely other. But he says, I do define everything. Does that make sense? And so when he says, I am, he just say, he, what he's saying in essence is saying, I am the definition. I can't give you anything clearer than I am who I am. Because I am the defining one. And so Moses gets this. Uh, so, he, so, he, so God gives Moses his identity. I am the almighty de de defining one, the self-defining one. And so later on, Moses asks to see Yahweh's glory. And God again declares his name, who he is. And that's, that's where we're going to catch up. Exodus 33, verse 12. And we're going to read down to verse 23. It says, so Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said... I know you by name. There we are again, the name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses says to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people, it is not in your going with us, oh, sorry, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. What's, what, I don't know, before we get to the next part, what's God saying there? Why is he saying to Moses, I know you by name? It says that God knows everything. He says he knows the very hairs of our head. He knows, the, he knows how the numbers of them. He says in Jeremiah, before you were informed in the, in the womb, I knew you. 
He says, before the creation of the world, I foreordained you. So it's not like, what's God saying when he says, I know you by name? He's saying to Moses, he's saying, I know your essence and your identity, and it, it's the same as mine. I know it. I, I experience that same identity that you carry. We want God to know our name. That's going to be a very important thing in the day of judgment. I want you to know this. It's not just about all of us just knowing about God. It's also about God knowing us. It's a two-way street. We see this in the book of Matthew. Jesus says it. He says, not everyone who says to me, what? Lord, Lord, are going to enter in. Even when they say, but Lord, we did all of these things in your name. And he's going to say to them, he says there's many of them. He says, I'm going to say to them, depart from me, for I don't know you. That, that's a, that's a, we don't talk about that much, but that's a very important warning for us to take, grab hold of and ask, and we need to be asking the questions. If we're reading the scripture and not asking questions, we're probably not really reading the scripture. But we need to be asking those questions. What do you mean you won't, you'll say to them, you don't know them? Like, how is that possible? Like, are you sitting there like, oh, Gabe, Gabe, how do you spell G-A-B? Uh, no, I, I don't remember who you are. I don't know you. It's not that. It's, he says, you don't have the same essence as me. You don't have the same character as me. I don't relate to that because it's not of me. Does that make sense? And this is what he's saying to Moses. This is the, we want the Lord to say this about us. Lord, I want, the Lord, I want the Lord to say to me, Gabe, I know you by name. Not just G-A-B-E. He doesn't have to know all my four names. He just needs to know the essence, that it's his essence in me. Does that make sense? That's what we have to be going after. Anyways, let's move on to verse 18. So Moses says, please show me your glory. And God says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Stop. <laughs> Didn't he already tell him his name? <laughs> I mean, why is he going to say his name again? He already told him. Moses said, who do I tell his who do I tell the people when I'm, when I'm there? Who is it? Who, who you are? And he says, tell them I'm Yahweh. I am. And then when Moses sits there and says, I want to see your glory, God doesn't just say, Moses, I'm like showing you all my glory. I mean, think about it for a moment. God, I mean, Moses is speaking to God face to face. In this moment, he's in the tabernacle of meetings and the glory cloud is upon it. Like there's a visual presence of God. You could see it. In fact, all the people could see it. And whenever Moses goes to that tent, they stand outside their tents. And when he goes in, the cloud covers the tent and they all fall down and worship. And Moses has seen some amazing glory already. He's already been up on the Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights without eating and without drinking. Right there, that's a miracle. But that mountain is on fire and it's shaking and it's trembling. And there's a horn, a trumpet that's blasting off of this mountain. A supernatural horn. I've ne I don't know about you. I've never had any of that experience. Like, I, when, I, you know, when I get a little tingle in my hand, I'm like, glory. Glory's here. Wow, this is, oh, I feel God. Moses is experiencing a tangible manifestation of God. And he says, show me your glory. Forget, and, and, and let's not forget, you know, he did talk to a burning bush that did not consume. He did take his staff and it fell on the ground and it turned into a snake. He picked it back up and went again. He, put, he had hand inside, leprosy, comes back in, cleansed. He's gone to the, he's already gone to Egypt and confronted Pharaoh. He's had, by his word, judgments fall on the entire nation. I mean, 
if there's anybody that, you know, you would sort of think, like, Mo Moses, like, seriously, <laughs> when do you got enough, man? Like, that's enough glory, isn't it? <laughs> you've seen all of this. You've gone through the Red Sea. You have a cloud by day, fire by night. You've got all of this stuff that's happening, yet he's saying, show me your glory. What is he saying? What is he saying? I believe this. Moses has seen all of the acts of God. He's seen these external things. And yet he's saying, but there is more to all of this than everything that I'm seeing. Moses was not just concerned about the acts of God. He wanted to know his ways. I want to know what causes all of these things to happen. Beloved, so often we get too satisfied with just wanting to see external things. And we get, if we could just get the external things, and we have, I mean, I know people that there's, there's something that blows up over here, something external is happening, there's a manifestation of God in some way, well, they're all going to go chase that over there. We have it over here, they'll fly over across the country. That's not necessarily bad, but my question is, what does Moses know that they don't know? Because Moses is in the midst of it, and he's not saying, God, thank you for the glory, the glory is the revival's here. He's saying, Oh, show me some more. There's something deeper that you haven't revealed to me. What is causing all this outward manifestation? And, and, and God doesn't rebuke him. God says, yeah, I'm going to actually show it to you, and it's my name. And so we, let's go down to verse 34. <clears throat> I'm sorry, chapter 34, in verse 5 and 8. Let's just look at what, what God says. And so... This is the next day Moses goes back up to the mountain. And as he's up there in verse 5, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Look at that. God declares his name. And this time he doesn't just give him the word Yahweh or I am. He says, all right, Moses, here's the glory. You want to see it? You want to see the unveiling? Here it is. I am mercy. Mercy is the glory of God. He says, I am gracious. I am slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithfulness. And he declares his character and his essence. You guys, you, you know what this is, right? This is Galatians 5. This is the fruits of the Spirit that we all learned in Sunday school, those who are in Sunday school. Right? The little orange that said joy, banana, long-suffering, because it's long and you can put all those letters there. Right? The fruits of the Spirit that we say, oh, those are nice. That's the glory of God. When those are manifested, God is seen. Do you understand? So when we manifest those things, God is seen. And so God is telling Moses, this is who I am. I'm mercy. I'm goodness. I'm long-suffering. I'm slow to anger. I forgive. I don't hold grudges, but yet I am just. And I don't forget a wrong. And when Moses hears this and experiences and sees this, it says he bows his head to the ground and he worships. This is now the second time that Moses is up on the mountain. He's already been up there one time. And when Moses came the first time, he had the Ten Commandments. You remember Charleston Heston, right? And 
Charleston Hiss, yeah. You remember that? And he comes down and he breaks the, the, the stone tablets, right? He'd been up there in the glory of God. But this time when Moses comes down, there's something different about him. You know what it is? His face is shining. He's, re he's radiating the glory of God because he's seen the glory of God. And that glory was the character of God. Do you follow me? And so when Jesus has given us his name, what he's saying is, I've given you my essence. I've given you the, the character of who I am. And that, when that is reflected, then my image is made seen. Is seen. Does this make sense? God's glory is his essence and we've been given his name and his character that we may be suitable for him in all eternity. You know, in Galatians 5, I just want to look at that verse real quick and then we're going to go to another verse. But in Galatians 5, there's not just the fruit of the spirit, but there's also the works of the flesh that are identified. And you could change out works and, and fruit. All that means is they're manifested, right? So when a tree bears fruit, you know what type of tree it is because of the manifestation of the fruit. You understand? Our works are the manifestation of what's inside of us. So fruit and works are the same thing. So Paul here in Galatians, he says, hey, this, you want to know if you're of God? He says, this is how you're going to tell. He says, there's the works of the flesh. They're manifest. He says, they're evident. They're easy to see. They're sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The New King James says, those who practice those things. In other words, those who do them over and over and over again. Now, for most of us, we go through that list, and I'd say probably 80% of them, we sort of like write off again, that's not me. Yeah, I'm not like in, I'm not in like, I'm not in a, a affair right now. No, that's not me. Uh, fits of anger, ugh, I have my issues there, jealousy, ugh. and we sort of go, drunkenness, God forbid, no, I don't drink, you know, we go through most of those and just count us all off, but if we look at all any, uh, at those, and any of them are a continual natural thing that comes out of us, jealousy, selfish ambition, fits of rage, any of these type of things, Paul says those who practice, and that continues to happen whether they try it or not, he says, they do not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, they are not bearing the name. But he says, those that are, he says, this is the fruits of the Spirit. They're the character of God. Let's just read them, because it's the same thing we just read in Exodus. He says, it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, against such things, there is no law. Why? Because those that are doing those things, they're fulfilling the law. They're actually becoming the, the manifestation of God and the manifestation of Christ. And so in passages like these, you know what's really good for us to do and really healthy for us to do is look at it and then take an account of our own life and say, Lord, is this something that actually continues on in my life? I'll give you a quick testimony for myself. I remember reading this one time years ago. We were newly married, me and my, my wife, and I was going through these and one of these stepped out on, at, at me. And it was actually, it was, it was the one on uh, uh, just sexual immorality or lust. And I've, I've shared my uh, testimony before with, other, with you guys before. But it was that area of lust. And actually, it was the word idolatry. I'm sorry, the word adultery. So when I saw the word adultery. I stopped. Now, I never committed adultery. But then suddenly, I remembered Jesus' words. Those who look upon a woman, or if you're a woman and upon a man, either way, 
and you lust after them, you are an adulterer. And I thought, wait, when I stand before Jesus, he's not going to define it by our definition. He's going to define it by his definition. Therefore, if I'm continuously doing this, a practice, right? When we practice, it means we do it over and over and over again. Anybody in sports, you practice, you do the drills, and you do them over and over again as a natural uh, uh, thing. He says, if those who you do a practice, you continue to practice these things, he says, you like need to take inventory. You need to be really cautious because you just might be one of those who's, who stand before him and say, Lord, Lord, I was a staff member at Newbridge Church and I hop. I was, they did all these things in your name. He's like, no, I don't know you. You had a lot, there's a lot of habitual things that you, that, 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 that proved that my name was not in you, but you were of, a, of another name. But those who have the fruits of the spirit and are growing in those, he says, yes, that's good. That, welcome into the kingdom, my, my son, my child. And so Jesus gives us his name. He received his name. You guys good tonight? Good. All right, I want to look at two more verses, and then we'll be done. Isaiah 56.5 talks about receiving his name. And this name, we've looked at a child, a child that receives a name. But in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 5, God tells the Israelites, and essentially tells us, anybody that's in his house, he says, I'm going to give you a better name than sons and daughters. Let's look at it. He says, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that they shall not be cut off. What is the name that's better than sons and daughters? Being a son and daughter is amazing. It's awesome. But there is one name. And there's one relationship where a name is given that's more, that's, that's more intimate, more powerful, and a stronger bond than that of even sons and daughters. You know what it is? It's when a, it's when a man and a woman become one and their names become one. It's a husband and a wife. That name is greater than the name of a son or a daughter. Because in that name, it's done for life. There's a covenant that's been, been, uh, been expressed to have that relationship come to pass. There's a covenant before God until death do us part. And he says, that's the name I'm giving to you. The name I'm giving to you is better than just a son or a daughter because a daughter can end up changing her name and a son could do whatever with the name. But it's one who takes on and receives a name under covenant. It's the most intimate relationship God created for mankind, the husband and wife relationship. It is greater in intimacy, authority, privilege, and partnership than that of a parent-child relationship. And this is what he's given to us. My children bear my name, but they don't bear my authority. Does that make sense? My wife bears my name, and she bears my authority. I love my children, but my intimacy with my wife is much stronger than I'll ever have with my children. Do you follow me? This is what it means when I give a name that's better than sons and daughters. It's the marriage covenant. The covenant relationship that God makes with humankind is symbolized in the marriage covenant. We see this in the last book of the Bible in Revelation. Revelation chapter 14 and Revelation chapter 22 and Revelation chapter 7. So in Revelation 14, 1 and 22, 4, John sees the saints with the name of the Father on their forehead. And in Revelation 7, 3, it says that these names on the forehead are a seal. And so what we have here is John is looking and he's seen throughout the ages and he's seen those who he's able to identify those who are gods and how does he identify? His name is on their forehead. What is that? That's the identity. It's the mind of Christ that they carry. 
It's his identity that's placed upon him. And it's, he says in, in, in chapter 7 of Revelation, he says it's a seal. It's the seal of marriage. It's the seal of you take on my name. You lost your identity. You take away your identity or you gave up your identity and you received mine. As the bride being given in marriage, I'm sorry, as the bride being given in marriage to Jesus, the bridegroom, we are to bear his name faithfully. This is how we are identified. We are identified by his name. One last scripture and then we'll be done tonight. I want to take us now to Exodus 20 and verse 7. This is the third commandment where Moses gets up on this mountain. When he's up on the mountain, God gives him these ten commandments. And this third commandment, this is what he says. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, I've grown up, you've grown up. And all of us have basically made this to say, and because it was what we've been taught, to say that this means don't say God's name in a profane way, which we are not to say God's name in a profane way. And there's some essence to that in here. But the word take is not the word say. In fact, the Hebrew word that is translated as take here is nasah. And every single time it is used in scripture, it always means to lift up or to take. It never means to say. And so what God is more interested here, and he's not really interested in what thing we say when we stub our toe. <laughs> you follow me? He's not saying, here, Moses, here are the big ones. When you stub your toe or you do anything, like, don't, don't say my name in a bad way. Now, we're not supposed to do that, but there's something deeper here. He says, don't take my name in vain. So just the same as when a, in, in a marriage, when we became married, my wife and I, she, before we were married, you would have known my wife, Evie, as Evie Mitchell. And then when we got married, she took my name and she disowned her name, her Mitchell name. And she legally changed it all and she came into my family, into our family, and she bore my name. Now, she would have taken that name in vain if... At that altar, she said the words, but then decided to still leave it, live like she was single. I'm going to date around. I'll see other people. She would never do that. But you know what I'm saying? That would be taking the marriage vow and taking my name in vain. In other words, she said the words, but then she didn't actually walk it out. Do you follow me? Taking it in vain. And that's what that's what I believe God is saying here. He's saying, not, he's not just so concerned. He is concerned. We're not to blasphemy his name. That's made clear other places, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But here he's saying, don't take my name because he said, I made a marriage covenant with you and I'm placing my glory and my essence upon you. Take it seriously. Take this identity, lose your old identity, come into the new identity. The seal of a marriage covenant is the bride trading her name for the bridegroom. And if she is unfaithful and gives her affections to another and does not honor the covenant made between them, then she will be taking his name in vain. Saying the words at the altar, going through the motions, but not actually being true to her part of the covenant. And that is the same way it is with the Lord. We could take his name in vain if our identity has not changed and is not changing. Do you understand? We could take on and we could say the vows. In other words, we could raise our hand and say the prayer, but unless we're actually willing to say, I want to lose my identity and come into his identity, it's in vain. 
We have taken his name in vain. We're not unified together in one. If we come together and at the marriage, at the altar, we're saying, I love you to death, do us part, but we never consummate a marriage, it's in vain. Do you follow me? If there is not unison, intimate unison, then it's, then it, it's missing the, 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 the power of it. In fact, when we talk about consummating marriage, that's actually when we, we, we say the vows, right? And then we say we consummate the marriage. We all know what that is. But what is that? That's us being unified together as one. Now it's a done deal. Do you follow me? And if we're not doing that in Christ, then we're taking his name in vain. We have taken his name in vain if the character and essence of God is not shining through brighter and brighter. If we are not becoming more like him and becoming more like what he said, how he describes himself, then we have taken his name in vain. And he says, don't do that. Why? Because he said, I will not hold them guiltless. He says, I take it serious. He says, because I've given everything. And my name I hold, I treasure. It's my glory. And he says, I've given it to you. Don't treat it as a vain or empty thing. As if you just say the words, excuse the actions, and say you're still going to love me. He says, There's, I'm a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. And what he wants and what, he's, what he has given to us is his very essence. He's given us more than all of the, the treasures of heaven. He's given us more than all, the, all of the, the, the possessions of heaven. He's given us his very core, who he is. And he placed inside of us says, now reflect me. Be my image bearer. Bear my name faithfully. So as we take his name and we receive his name, you could actually see this in our lives. You can actually take, uh, what do you call it? You could take a, a, a I can't think of the word. You could, you could actually measure it. God has given us and placed us in difficult times sometimes, and he's given us difficult situations. He allows us in our lives so the, what's inside can come out. Sometimes God has placed us with a spouse that might be very different than us, and we've received that spouse, and that's very difficult at times. But he says, I am actually doing this so you could see what's inside you, and that could change. So instead of outbursts of wrath or envy, or jealousy. He says, loving kindness and grace and mercy. He says, I'm placing you and I placed different situations in your life, not so you could just get out of them, but so that you could be transformed through them. I believe this, folks, is that many times we ask God to take us out of a situation that he's actually placed us in. We're asking him to change the outward circumstances, but he says, I've actually orchestrated it so that you can see who you are and then in that place, you could either repent and turn and be asking for my grace, or you could be celebrating and seeing the, the, the change that's going on in your life. You see, we, we all think that we're all very loving until we have an enemy. We all think we're very patient until we have children, honestly. <laughs> right? We all think we're, we're a full joy when everything is great. But what happens when all that's taken away? The true essence of us comes out. Because everything that pads us is taken away. What we tend to do in life is we're constantly trying to pad our lives and, 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 and try to 
prop up our lives so the inside doesn't come out because we're too afraid of that happening. In fact, that's what's so good about fasting. You know what's great about fasting? Is that it just, it's just us voluntarily saying, all right, Lord, I want some exposure. See, fasting, I remember going and I was, I would, I'd be fasting, and, and, uh, and I do have a hard time with it, actually. It's very, very difficult for me. But I remember doing it and then being like, man, I don't like it, Lord. It can't be you because I'm always angry. Fasting makes me angry. He says, no, fasting doesn't make you angry. Anger has always been inside of you. Fasting is just exposing that anger. It's exposing who you are. And he says, I, I'm doing this, and I've called you to do it, that you may know me, and your na- my name may be in you, and you could tell I'm giving you indicators. I'm not having you run this blind. I'm actually going to help you walk it out. So therefore, he says, I'm going to test you, and I'm going to give you trials. I'm going to take away the job sometimes. I'm going to make it hard. I'm going to make difficulties happen in your life. And he says, guess what? I put that there. Not to hurt you, but for your good, that you could see what is on the inside and, and deal appropriately with it. Let's stand together. I was going to pray. I just want us to open the hearts to the Lord, and then uh, we're going to we're, we'll be dismissed. But I want to take a moment for us just to respond to the Lord in our own hearts. And there's areas that 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 speak to you. I want us to treasure them right now. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your name. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your essence and who you are, putting this new creation inside of us the Holy Spirit, that we no longer have to walk in the flesh, but we can walk in the Spirit. And Father, our heart's desire is not to take your name in vain. Lord, we want to, we want to be faithful to that name, and we want, to, we want to carry all of that essence. We want to experience it. And Father, I pray, God, for those, Lord, Lord who see areas that, that, that they say that's not, the, that's not the character of God, it's not the fruit of the Spirit, it's not the glory of God. And those areas seem to be insurmountable to change. And I pray, Father, you would just encourage them right now that you are always with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. You are, as you said, slow to anger. And you are faithful. And so, Father, we ask, God, that you would give us grace to bear your name, to bear your image. And, Lord, that, that in all we say, all that we do, Lord, that we would constantly be reminded that your name is put upon us And we want that to be seen and shown and expressed in this world. And so, Father, we ask for grace in this. We ask that you help us in it. We treasure your words. We treasure treasure this name that you've given to us. And, Lord, we want those fruit and the works to be manifested that show you. So we ask for that grace. We pray blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen.